Good afternoon. It's Sunday, September 29th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news all within 15 minutes or fewer. Except today, going long because we've got football to talk about. Uh, My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor Trey Scott. So, Trey... It was a very chalky weekend. We thought maybe we'd have some drama in a couple of spots, and not to say we're totally without upsets. We we never are, but there was no earth-shaking result here this weekend. No earth-shaking result. We almost had one. Yeah, we almost had one, and let's let's start there. Clemson 21, UNC 20. Mac Brown's Tar Heels take Clemson down to the wire. Decide to go for the two-point conversion attempt with under a minute left to go in the game after scoring a touchdown, but the speed option play snuffed out by Brent Venable's defense. The Tar Heels come up short of getting the big upset at home, but a nation is left wondering whether we should be worried about Clemson. We've seen Clemson struggle and yet coast. This is the first time they really appeared in danger of losing, so... Trey, I guess just how concerned should we be about Clemson at this point? Uh, it was a lot to unpack from that one. Yeah. It was the game flew by. You kind of thought at different times Clemson was going to get going and the the play calling was not very good. The offensive line was the biggest culprit of that game, six false starts, which is a a credit to North Carolina's home crowd which I did not think could get loud enough to affect games. Trevor Lawrence was fine. Travis Etienne had a fumble that kind of set them back. I don't know, Connor. The defense played pretty well. Sam Howell did some fourth-quarter Sam Howell magic. I'm not concerned about them making the playoff at this point. I think I think maybe they needed a wake-up call if the first month of the season you know, had not provided that. They'll have a bye week now, too. North Carolina, when you look at that ACC schedule – we weren't expecting the Tar Heels to present this kind of a threat in the preseason, but I think it, it was clear kind of looking at Saturday's game, maybe the toughest remaining one for Clemson, depending on you know how you view Florida State, how you view South Carolina. I'm not concerned about Clemson running the table. I, I think they they would tell you as well they have a lot to fix right now, though. Yeah, it, it seems like Clemson – they don't have that efficiency gear that Alabama has where they're just like, all right, we're going to take this short pass that's available to us and we're going to break it open for a big play. Uh, they just, for whatever reason, don't don't seem able to be able to do that. They're still capable of hitting enough home runs that they end up winning. But And they have plenty. And the other, like the conversation with Clemson always has to be inclusive of the fact that they have time to figure it out because they are in the worst power five conference. They have time to figure, they have time to figure it out and they have tools that we've seen perform on the biggest stage. So it's hard to like panic too much. The offensive line is the biggest concern right now because when they weren't committing six false starts, which is really bad, they were not giving Trevor Lawrence any time to throw and they really weren't opening up any run lanes for Travis Etienne. Yeah. Since that Georgia tech game, Travis Etienne, uh, and Clemson's rushing attack in general has been pretty 
pedestrian. So that's that's maybe a concern, and it doesn't. It certainly doesn't take the pressure off a a quarterback who might be pressing a little bit right now. Another kind of underwhelming performance for Trevor Lawrence: eighteen of thirty, just two hundred six yards, one touchdown. Really, when you look back to his production last season, I mean, other than the interception rate being up, there's really not that stark of a difference but I think you know we were just all just counting on a a massive step forward for Clemson and maybe it'll still happen we're still you know a a quarter of the way through the season plenty of time to improve but right now a lot of people calling for maybe Clemson to drop in the polls at the time that we're recording this the the AP poll has not come out I don't believe it probably will at some point while we're recording this so we'll see if any movement is there but we are going to release our own top four on on Monday's episode. So that'll be an opportunity for us to to dig into that a little bit more. We had Alabama 59, Ole Miss 31. I do not know that there was much in this game that happened to kind of redirect any major narratives outside of just Devontae Smith having an insane game, 11 catches, five touchdowns, 274 yards. Uh, Ole Miss does, in the end, rack up 476 yards of total offense, 279 of that on the ground. But a lot of that comes on three 70-plus yard touchdown drives in the second half. If for perhaps a lack of drama, I've in this game, I've seen people maybe trying to set up, should we be worried about Alabama's defense? And there is, you know, with with the attrition that they've suffered on the interior of their defense, maybe there is some you know, supporting evidence for that. But I don't know. Are, are we taking that bait at this point in time? No, I mean, I think Clemson and Alabama are in the same boat where they're, you know, they enter the season as the top two teams in the country. And we're going to spend the next two months figuring out their flaws because they're not in the position where we figure out why they're great. Like the, the Ohio States and the Georgias of the worlds are the pleasant. Wow. And the Oklahomas are the, wow, these guys are really good. Let's talk about why they're good. Um, when you're at the top, you talk about why they could fall. I'm not 31 points is a lot. Just like Clemson scoring 21 is not a lot. Ole Miss scored seven of those points in absolute garbage time. I think the pace of that game compared to Clemson, North Carolina, was clearly much quicker. Um, a lot of time for touchdowns. They gave up, I believe, 100 yards rushing to the Ole Miss quarterback, John Rice Plumley. So that was a little surprising. Alabama's schedule is, is more difficult, but I still think there's plenty of time. And, yes, the three freshmen, at least on defense, you know, need to get a little bit better. But I'm not – no, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about, to be honest, either of these, those two teams today – because Alabama, you give up 31, but you're scoring 59. And you mentioned Devontae Smith. This might be the best receiving core in college football history. I don't know why it wouldn't be, to be honest with you. Devontae Smith is a abs- that, that was just insane. Five touchdowns like that, and that's not getting talked about enough. So no, I'm not. I'm not too worried about them right now. Yeah, I mean, any concerns that you might have about Alabama's defense, I think, can be very reasonably papered over by saying, okay, but. Can you even stop Alabama's offense like once right. or twice? Like I, I just don't, I, I don't see many teams that are going to be able to do that in in a, in a situation in a game where the where the outcome is still in doubt. The game of the week: <laughs> Lincoln, Nebraska, Ohio State forty-eight, Nebraska seven. 
Ohio State outgains the Huskers 580 to 231. Adrian Martinez is picked off three times. Ohio State carries the ball 53 times for 368 yards in this one. Trey, is Ohio State the most complete team in college football right now? They are sure playing like it. I thought last week, you know, just beating Miami, Ohio, I think Ohio State, like 76 to 5. I said on one of our roll call shows, Ohio State, are we sure they're not playing like the best team in the country? This is an absolute beatdown. Adrian Martinez's QBR was 3.4. There's something that Ohio State's playing with under Ryan Day that they didn't have last season. Under Urban Meyer, they're playing loose. They're playing like, I don't, you know what I mean? Connor, like, I, I, I think you said something on Twitter, like, it's the best, the most complete they've looked since 2014. Are they battle-tested? Don't know. Don't really care at this point. They have all the pieces to be as good as anyone in the country. They obviously have the talent. We're going to see what they, you know, they, they, pass the, they pass the test on the biggest stage. Justin Fields is, is frankly a joy to watch, and it's, it's great for college football that he got out of Georgia and became eligible immediately and is doing what we thought he could do at Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State, as you mentioned, so maybe you could point out some concerns with the schedule so far in terms of trying to sort out how impressive what they've done is. Have not played a team ranked higher than 29 in ESPN's FBI, and that was Cincinnati. Of course, they blew the doors off of Cincinnati, too. But Ohio State, the problem with Ohio State the past few years is that even teams that they were demonstrably better than in every way they struggled with mm-hmm. and they they're just blowing everybody out and they can only play the teams on their schedule so far and they're just blowing them out they're playing loose but also more focused it's just everything feels crisp and intentional and it almost it almost felt in the late urban meyer years like there were too many cooks in the kitchen and now Ryan Day gets promoted to head chef, and like everybody's kind of on the same page. There's a lot more focus and clarity about what they're setting out to do, and it just makes them really, really dangerous with all of that talent. Yeah, like last season, they offensively had Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson in the same room. And after Urban Meyer came back from his three-game suspension, Ohio State's offense kind of went back to like the – like it didn't look as smooth as it did the first three games. And look, a lot of this is the fact that Justin Fields is a threat on the ground because Dwayne Haskins, who I loved, wasn't. And his inability to be a threat in in that scheme really impacted J.K. Dobbins, who proved again last night that he's one of the best running backs in college football. One man cannot tackle J.K. Dobbins. So the whole offense has opened up. And then defensively, they're playing so much better than they did last year. And Chase Young is, hey, he was a number three recruit at one point. Like, he, he's an elite talent, and he's doing things that we expected from Nick Bosa last season before Bosa got hurt. Ohio State's got so much talent. It's going to be really exciting to see, you know, not only how do they play in the big games like last night, but how do they play in the games where it's usually a trap for Ohio State. That's, I think, going to be the real – test and the real difference between the Urban Meyer regime and the Ryan Day era. Notre Dame 35, Virginia 20, the Irish coming off of that close loss in Athens. And, you know, I at least for me, Notre Dame 
kind of solidified some hints of what we saw in that Georgia performance that this defense might just be incredibly legit. And they were an absolute terror in this game. For the second time this year, we saw them come, or at least the second time this year, saw them come out of halftime with just a renewed uh, effectiveness on defense. They're trailing 17 to 14 going into the half. Come in the second half, they hold the Cavs to 2.81 yards per play. Four turnovers, four good old-fashioned turnovers, one turnover on downs. Uh, Just an incredibly explosive and disruptive defensive performance from the Irish. And, you know, you look at their schedule and – it's hard to see a team. It, you don't see any games that, oh, well, they're not winning that game. So the question then becomes, can they run the table? And if they do, are they going to be, are, are they going to get put in? All kinds of discussions you can have around that. But I think my takeaway from this game is that Notre Dame isn't exiting this conversation anytime soon. Yeah, I just want to mention Julian Aquara, the senior defensive end, had three sacks, three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles, two QB hurries. Connor, am I like two Saturday running cumulative Notre Dame takeaway is that they belong? I didn't expect to say that this season, and I think they're still going to fight an uphill perception battle based on the egg they laid against Clemson in the college football playoff semifinal all the way a season ago, but they look better than they did last season. Yeah. That Georgia loss, you want to talk about a high quality loss and I'm not even being sarcastic here. Like that might help them. I think the stage was set for them to get blown out in Athens and they played very, very well, had a chance to win it. The stage was set for them to suffer a trap sleeper loss against Virginia. And they, the defense was just ferocious. So their problem is Michigan and USC aren't good enough. That's their problem. They they need they need they really need Michigan to start playing a lot better or else I think they're going to be left on the outside looking in despite the fact that they are probably a much better team than the one that made the playoff a year ago. Yeah, if they win out according to 538, they have a 45% chance of making the playoff. So That's crazy. That's I know it's September 29th, Connor. Yeah. And you know, this is the time of year where we start to project Ohio State to be undefeated and Oklahoma to be undefeated. And I know all these things don't happen. You know, and we almost watched number one go down yesterday. But that, that's that's wild given the discussion we had last year. Is Notre Dame even worthy of a playoff going 12-0? and That they could go 11-1 and have a nearly 50-50 shot to make the playoff is just nuts. Let's move now to a team that I think, for me, has really legitimately entered the conversation for the college football playoff. And that's Auburn. They beat Mississippi state 56 to 23, but more importantly, Bo Nix really in the past couple weeks has kind of moved from a weakness in Auburn's offense that you're just kind of trying to cover up and find some creative ways to work around to now you look at this 16 of 21 performance, 335 yards, two touchdowns through the air, another on the ground And it's starting to feel like he's making the transition from an overwhelmed true freshman to somebody who is uh, doing his bit to help this offense reach its potential. And man, I I know Mississippi State not looking like a great team, but this looked like vintage Gus Malzahn offense on Saturday. And I, 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 I mean, I always say like, 
Gus Malzahn's offense has never looked better since he became the head coach than when he had a cornerback at quarterback and, and Nick yeah. Marshall. And, and so like I, for that reason, I have been willing to buy in to the idea that Bo, Bo Nix could come in as a true freshman and eventually get to a point where he's contributing the way that he is. And, and I, I think maybe we're there and I'm not saying you won't see some ups and downs along the way, but to yesterday's performance really showed me a lot. Yeah. Tough test next week against Florida. Yes. I think Auburn's play has been one of my pleasant surprises of the season thus far. They've been a lot of fun to watch. Bo Nix, I had a feeling this would happen. The Oregon game, he did get a little bit overhyped, and he was a little bit overwhelmed. He was 13 for 30. He obviously had you know that legendary drive to win the game. And then they spent a few weeks after that playing Tulane and Kent State and having a bye week. And I kind of thought Bo Nix – the next time we saw him, which was last week against A&M on a CBS game, would have taken a leap, and he did. And he he proved his progress again Saturday against Mississippi State. And I think a, a, a really good Florida defense is going to present a massive test for him. If Auburn gets through that, then we got a really, really, really interesting SEC West battle set up. And I can't remember the last time three SEC West teams – were this good as far as on any given day, like put, put put Auburn, LSU and Alabama on a neutral site game. And like they could round Robin that, and that that might be a split to be quite honest with you. And that's, I think one of the joys of the college football season thus far, it's not just a two team race. Like we're talking, we're not just talking about Auburn being okay, Connor or Notre Dame being okay or Ohio state being okay. We're talking about these teams as actual legitimate playoff national title contenders. We haven't gotten to do that in a long time. Yeah. A thought I was having on Saturday is even like there, I don't, I mean, who knows the it's a, it's a, it's a game with a weirdly shaped ball and turnovers happen and teams don't show up. But like, I don't think we're going to see a blowout in the college football playoff this year, unless just some neither. weird team ends up somehow getting in. At this point last year, it already felt like it was Alabama and Clemson, and then, oh, God, do we really have to rank everybody else after that? Like, can just call it a day after yeah. one and two. And this year is just a really deep field, and I feel like as the weeks go on, we're only adding new teams to the conversation. We have not yet started winnowing down the field to uh, an inevitable top two or top three or even top four like I think we might be eight deep at this point. You know, I, I was honestly kind of worried for the state of the sport that we were heading in this direction, where power was just increasingly concentrated at the top. Um, so this year has been, even though we haven't gotten the, that crazy week yet that I know we all want, um, it's 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 really exciting to see the way things are kind of playing out. Um, one conference where things are not. <laughs> One conference not really participating in this conversation is the Pac-12. I have been resistant to the the Pac-12 is out of it narrative, maybe for no other reason, honestly, than a desire to be contrarian, but kind of a m mixed bag yet again for them. And it just continues to seem like, okay, this this is a conference with some decent teams, but nobody clearly good enough to be resistant to losing some very disappointing games and 
therefore being able to emerge as a, as a college football playoff contender. Now, maybe part of the reason feeling down about the Pac-12 is that Oregon was idle this week, but you had the only undefeated team left in the conference lose in Cal. I don't know how seriously anybody really thought of them as, as, a, as, a, as a playoff contender anyway, but uh, their, their last undefeated team goes down. USC picks up its second loss of the season, and you have Utah bounce back with a 38-13 win over Washington State. So, Trey, where's your head at with the Pac-12 right now? I can't figure out the Pac-12 at all. Yeah. Here's my here's my thing. I wouldn't mind seeing a Pac-12 team in this top eight that we're discussing. The only issue is that Washington and Utah, who looked great yesterday, have already kind of suffered the fluky losses that we are worried they were going to suffer. Utah losing to Third-string USC quarterback Matt Fink two weeks ago. Washington loses loses that really weird Week Two game against Cal. And I, by the way, I I enjoyed watching Arizona State and Cal on Friday night. It was a fun and weird Pac-12 game. Those two, I think I think Utah and Washington are legitimately very good teams. I don't think the Pac-12 has a chance to make the playoff. I think what we saw on Saturday is going to continue to happen as far as a cannibalization. Did I get through that word okay? Yep. Uh, and we haven't even thrown Oregon into the mix yet. Like, Washington's got to play Oregon. And, and then Utah has to go through, you know, whatever the, whatever the Pac-12 South is. Like, last night we had an Arizona backup quarterback beating the UCLA backup quarterback in a really weird game. It's kind of you wake up, and if you haven't watched all the action on Saturday night, and I stayed up pretty late watching college football, and I did not conclude either of these two games, and you kind of Google UCLA football, and you kind of just like, there's a really fun moment of like a three seconds where you're like, hmm, what am I going to see now? And I think we're just going to keep seeing that. I, I think you, we talk about the big, we've talked about the Big 12 the last few years about mid tier, lower tier, knocking off, you know, mid tier, high tier. That's going to keep happening in the Pac 12. We're not going to have a playoff rep in the Pac 12, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have good football and some good teams. Yeah. Uh, from a prob- probability perspective, it looks like Washington has the best odds right now. 82% according to 538 if they win out. I think Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12, and they have a 64% chance if they win out, which is a a, a one-loss Power 5 conference champion. Thinking about them basically being a toss-up for whether they get into the playoff is kind of kind of wild to think about, but that's that's where we are right now with the Pac-12. So... Um, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. We'll be back tomorrow with an episode revealing our own personal top fours. If you appreciate what we're doing, we ask that you do one thing this week to help us spread the word about the show, whether that's telling a friend or family member that Trey and I wake up at 6 a.m. every weekday to make sure you're all caught up on college football news or simply leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Baseball 
has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 